So we want to welcome our broadcast audience to River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We're here on a Wednesday evening, and we're, we're, we're talking about a subject. This will be our third session on the truth that God is already there. God is already there. So wherever you are or wherever you're going or wherever you've been, I'm telling you, no matter how it turned out, no matter how bad it looked or how uh, distraught you were about it, something happened, but it wasn't because God wasn't there. God is already there. And we looked at that extensively last week. So if you would, turn in your Bible with me to the book of Psalm, Psalm 46. Praise God. God is already there. Now I know, I know this, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not always the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I I can get around a little bit, and I know that lots and lots of people would say, why are you teaching God is already there? We know that. We know God is everywhere. We know he's always there. But then they put a little caveat on there. We just say, uh, you know, uh, concerning the will of God, well, it's either yes, no, or not now. Well, I've started praying prayers. I have been for, for years and years, decades, praying prayers that God can answer had someone on the phone this evening before service and she wanted me to pray for her daughter and you know and that he would she would do this and she would do that and God would just get her here and get her there and so she I so I, I said well I'm not praying for any of that but I'm gonna pray for you well that's how, that's the key right there you got to know you got to be able to pray prayers that God can answer that he's already checked it off and said we're pre-approved pre-qualified pre-ready so they know it doctrinally. People all over know that God is already there doctrinally, but can you act like it and can you anticipate at your situation as if God's already there? Well, if you do, there's no fear. There's no negative thing that says, ooh, I'm a little nervous about this. And, and it's just the truth is that we don't say God's not already there, but we're not confident about who we are in connecting with him and, and getting him to do what we need done. Isn't that the whole Christian experience is that we know God's everywhere, but do I, can I uh, access him? And can, can he, does he like me? Because I've been doing some naughty things and I've been kind of messing around and I hadn't been doing what I could do, should do. And so now I'm in trouble and I don't know if God is going to meet me and answer this. And so we just, we just dobbed that in the head last week. But in Psalm 46, 1, let's talk about God's already there. It says in verse 1, God is our refuge. Say my refuge. My. God is our refuge and strength. Oh, I like this. Let's say this together. A very present help in trouble. God is a very present right now. No matter when it is, if it's Monday or Thursday or the 6th of the month or the 31st, it, God is already there and he's a very present help. He's not just uh, there casually saying, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. He's always, he's always a very present help in time of trouble. Don't go there, but let me read to you Romans 8, 31. God is already there. It says, if God be for us, who can be against us? Well, he's for us. Now, you know, didn't say on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and we go home early on Friday, you know, or whatever. If God be for us, that, the implication there is he's for us all the time. He's not mad at anybody. God's not mad at anybody. Let's just put that on the airwaves. God is not mad at anybody. This is the day. This is the, the uh, uh, generation. This is the, uh, uh, what, what do you call that? The, uh, the dispensation of grace. 
And so, you know, judgment is coming, but it's not going to be in this lifetime. It'll be after this lifetime. It'll be when you go to heaven, then you get judged. But God's not judging anybody. He judged Jesus for what we should have been judged. And he judged us righteous when Jesus was righteous. We got his righteousness and he got our sin. Praise God. In Hebrews 13, 5, God is already there. It says, he has said, I will never leave thee. Finish it with me. Or forsake thee. So God's never going to leave you. God's always there. Never leave you. Well, sometimes. No. On occasion. Or when I'm naughty. Or when I run away from God. Or when I'm not, when I'm in a bad mood. Or when I've met. Nope. God says, I will never leave you. And I will never forsake you. That means he's all in. It doesn't mean he gets passive. You know, sometimes when we get, uh, y'all don't understand this, but sometimes we get our feelings hurt and we don't want to talk. And we don't want to be friendly. And we don't want to answer. And we don't want to get along. <laughs> You're not, she's not looking at me. Ah. <laughs> uh, but, so, but he's not that way. He's always on. Alabama Power says we're always on. Well, they're not always on. I've seen it when they wasn't always on. And <laughs> but God is always on. So let me ask you this question. We ask a question every time we come together. Do we believe that Satan was once in heaven and his name was Lucifer? Yes or no? Yes. Do we, did we see that? Did we, see, did we experience that? So, uh, obviously, we did not. So, you've got to ask, why do we believe the, that Satan was once in heaven and his name was Lucifer? Why, did we, why do we believe that? The reason we believe it is because the devil never challenges us about that fact. Got that? So, do we believe that Jesus beheld Satan as lightning being cast out of heaven? Sure we do. Did we see that? No, we read about it. We believe that because there's no reason to challenge it. Let's go on. Do we believe that our sickness and our infirmity were laid on the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross at the, at the whipping post? We do. We believe that. But did we see that? We did not see that. Why do we require more proof of that than we do of believing that Satan was named Lucifer when he lived in heaven? Why do we struggle with that our sickness was laid on him at the whipping post before he went to the cross and that the blood that was poured out of him on his back paid for, atoned for, uh, neutralized the penalty of sickness and disease on that? But the reason we have trouble with that is because Satan challenges us on that. He challenges that. In Genesis 1, the Bible says, uh, the devil said to Eve, hath God said? He challenged that. She said, well, we can eat of this and we can eat of that, but we can't eat of this in the, in the middle of the garden. And, and the devil said, hath God said that? And then, you know, if you read that story, she, she, she changed the truth there. So the devil intimidates us, different levels and degrees. He intimidates us about faith based on him, based on the truth of what he did. Now, he doesn't mind us believing all the good things about him and all the, the, the factual, the historical things, but he does not want us to believe that Jesus bore our sickness 
and carried our pain. And so he challenges us on that. Do you all know there's a great challenge to healing? They'll say it passed away. They'll say, you know, the last apostle. They'll say, and they, they challenge the gifts of the Spirit. They challenge speaking in tongues. They cha- everything that's important, everything that's powerful, everything that'll put you over in a world that can't go over, a church world, I mean, the devil challenges us. I tell you, I was in church for a lot of years, and I, I, I wasn't even looking for the Holy Ghost. And they were challenging that and saying, well, it passed away, and this, that, and the other. Planting that stuff in there so that you didn't ever ask the question of that. So it's safer to believe what God has done, and it's safer to believe what God will do. Listen to me. It's safe to believe historically what he did. Well, Jesus, Jesus did miracles. Or someday we're going to go to heaven and this body will be healed and our poverty will go and, you know, all that. It's safe to believe the past and the future. What's challenging is to believe right now. And that's where the devil, he won't challenge you on the past. He'll say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the future. Well, yeah, God's going to do this and that. He'll let you get by with that. But he won't let you talk about today. Lord, my money's not right. I need answers for today. He, he, he will get in there and challenge us that. So uh, people everywhere, I'm all over, all over, people believe everywhere that when they die... They're going to heaven. And I mean, it's not even close. It's like straight up. I believe I'm going to heaven. And you ask them why they believe that. And, you know, you get all sorts of answers because I'm an American comes up more than a little uh, or because mama was in the church. But they struggle to believe that God will help them with their finances. Today. Someday, you know, this is all going to turn out. A lot of times they say, because I've been percentage-wise, because I've been on the little side of money for all my life, then there's going to be a retribution. There's going to be an equalizing. I was raised in lack, uh, not the kind of lack that makes poverty, but we just, you know, we were just, you know, I've told you all before, my family was buying a farm, so we were drilling water wells when we had money, and we were trying to get money to drill water wells when we didn't have any money. So, uh, you know, that's, that got in me. It's not that I suffered. It's the, it was the mental and the emotional uh, lock that it got on me, and I wasn't too happy with God because, like, God, you can't do anything about this, and uh, apparently I didn't know. But uh, uh, God is already there. Let's say it together. God is already there. Now, this is, is, this is so basic. This is a football. You know, the, the basic of the basic, God is already there, but it's so important. If we don't have a confidence about that, now, I'm not talking about thinking that, mental assent, where you believe that, you say, oh, I believe that. But believing up here is not the same as believing down here. The test for down here is when you have to have a, an assurance and a confidence, he's got this. He said in his word, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, I believe that, and therefore, I'm in. But, you know, lots of people, it's like, well, well, you know, sometimes there's things that happen, and God understands, and he's got his reasons, and in his infinite wisdom, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's not going to be there. You know, or what they really mean to say is, 
if he's not there, there's a good heavenly reason for it. And we let him off the hook. We let God off the hook. And he doesn't want to be let off the hook. He's well able to keep his word. I can keep my word. Can you keep your word? Well, how much more can the Lord keep his word? Yay. So I'm going to ask you tonight another question. How is God already there? Is it just that he shows up and there's a glow and a, and a figure and, a, and like Moses, he hides us in the cleft of the rock and so we can see his hinder parts and the glory passing by? Is that how God is already there? Or is it uh, like the transfiguration where Jesus was taken up and, you know, and was transformed, transfigured, and there was a big glory? How is God always there? Well, I'm telling you, he's there in a lot of ways. And probably none of those are going to be examples. I don't know if you've ever seen Jesus or if you've ever uh, talked to him. Most people have not. I have not. There's been a few, and, and I know it's few because everybody that has tells it. And there hadn't been that many people tell it. I, you know, the, the Lord appeared to me. It was an open vision or it was in a dream or whatever. Uh, Psalm 46.1, we read, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Now, let me tell you this statement. The kingdom is rigged. The kingdom of God is rigged. It's fixed. It's fixed for you to win every time. You know, you go to Vegas, they say, I don't know, I've never been, and they say that it's rigged. Well, of course it's rigged. The house is going to win a certain amount. That's how they stay in business. And everybody's going up there trying to beat the odds, beat the house, beat the system. And, you know, some of them go out with a 1,000 or 10, uh, and, and they beat it that night. But if they come back with their 10,000, eventually they're going to leave it there, aren't they? It's rigged. It's fixed. Well, I'm telling you, the kingdom of heaven is fixed. It's rigged in our behalf. But just like people go back and spend their 10,000 winnings and lose it, People get a blessing from the Lord. Get, they see God. They see what he did. They, they experience his goodness, but they walk away and say, ah, whatever. I'm helping tonight. I'm helping. We're going to go somewhere with this. 2 Corinthians 2.14, don't go there. It says, now thanks be unto God. Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph. Now look at that word there. Always. What's the next word? Causeth. So right there, there's an implication. There's a pointing there that God always causes us to win. So that means God's already there. Is that right? If he always causes me to win, so if I go here, if I go there, if I go back, if I backslide, if I get prodigal and I'm in the pig pen, he's, already, he's always there. He's already there and he's always there. Is that right? He always, in the best of times, in the worst of times, when we don't feel spiritual, everybody in here, all over, has backslid. Backslid means that you ever had a day that was less than another day, spiritually speaking. Would that be right? You just got up and you didn't have a zing. You just didn't have any whatever for God, and instead of praying or whatever, you went and watched Andy of Mayberry or... Father knows best or, you know, or Rambo or something. And you, go, and you go, is that bad? Well, it doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not what it was at one time. We've all done that. But it doesn't matter to God. We looked at a scripture the other day that says he cannot deny himself. He's in me. He's in you. For him to leave me is to him to leave himself because he's in me. 
If he abandons me, if he kicks me to the curb, he's kicking him to the curb. If you believe Christ in us, the hope of glory, he's in me. If any man be in Christ, in Christ, in Christed is the word. If anybody be in Christ, well, we sang that song tonight. If you're, he, if, if he's your, if you're his, if you're his, are we his? Well, then, then he's mine. It's, we're, we're in a relationship. It's not one way. He said, you know, uh, Buddha and all those gods, they're all one way. They're down there. You know, I'm not owning you sorry things down there. I want you to give me glory and honor, but I'm not having nothing to do with you. If I get mad, I'm not going to rain on your crops. And if I get mad, I'm going to kill your babies. But that's not our God. He's always in. He's always on. So, um, Exodus 17.6. Can you turn there? Slip over to Exodus 17.6. Now, we're talking about how God is already there. So he's a refuge in strength. He says he's a very present help in trouble. So how is he a very present help in trouble? What does that mean? Exodus, uh, where do we go? 17.6. I'm just interested in finding out how, how God is already there. Because it's not the same. Who, who needs God to show up for healing when they, got, when they can't pay the rent? We need him to show up with funding, with mercy or something. He says, well, I've come here and uh, I got, the, I got uh, healing for leukemia. Well, there's nobody here with leukemia. But we sure need some rent. We need some groceries. He's a very present help. Whatever that means to you at whatever time you are, he's a help. He looks like whatever we need. I said he looks like he acts like whatever we need. He's, he's on point. He's in tune. Sometimes when your bro heart's broke, you've lost somebody or something terrible's happened, he comes in as mercy and compassion and comfort. But sometimes when you need to run the devil off, when you need to stand strong against a situation that's trying to take you out, you don't need mercy and comfort. You need some backbone. You need some boldness to run that thing off and to stand tall and to get the victory. Well, he's a very present help in trouble. In Exodus 17, 6, look how God is already there here. This is talking about the children of Israel off in the, in the wilderness. Uh, verse 6, uh, behold, I've got to read verse 5. The Lord said unto Moses, Go on before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. That's when the river Jordan that he smote it and it dried up on either side. I believe that's what it's talking about. Take in thy hand and go. Behold, I will. God said, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Oreb. Now, look, look, look. God's already there. And there shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. God was already there. And we could look, we could look at the story of the axe did, did swim. We could look at the parting of the Red Sea. We could look at the, the uh, manna. We could look at the, the quail that came in. On and on. God was already there. They never suffered he didn't miss a Wednesday with the man and say, you know, doggone, the, the supply line got, got held up and we just didn't get any stuff to make manna. Y'all see what you can do to make, about making it to Thursday. 
It just never happened. It was there every day for how long? 40 years. He was already there. Let's go to Psalm 91. God is already there. Psalm 91. Y'all like this one? Oh, yay. We're going to read the whole psalm. We don't have time to, but we can't, we can't leave it there. He that dwelleth, that's us. Say, that's me. that's me. He that dwelleth in the secret place, hallelujah, of the Most High, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Oh, my. He's already there. I will say of the Lord, Lord, you are my refuge and my fortress, my God, and you will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. I'm telling you, that's still the truth. His truth is our shield and our buckler. Amen. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. So he's saying, I'm going to keep you for two, just two times, daytime and nighttime. <laughs> he's, whoo, he's already there. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Well, most of the time. Well, a lot of the time. Well, occasionally. Well, you never know what God's going to do. <laughs> no, it said that it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Not on us. Not on us. If there's anything poured out, if there's anything that's happening, it's not us. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. Well, there's a condition. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. Why? Why is that? For he shall give his angels charge over thee. Look, look, God is already there. He said, no, he's not. It's his angels. God's already there. To keep thee in all thy ways. Now, God's already there if he's keeping you in all his ways. Amen. Uh, they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. This is like uh, Deuteronomy where it says, and you're coming in and you're going out in the city and the country. When it's hot or when it's cold, <laughs> you know, when it's dark, when it's light. He just covers everything. He says, uh, you, shall, you shall tread on all these things. And then it says in verse 14, because he hath set his love. Now this is, the speaker now is God. It says, because he hath set, this man that's dwelling in the secret place, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Wow, there's a secret place, the name of Jesus. He shall come upon me, call, he shall call upon me, and I will answer him. He's already there. We, we shall call upon him, and he's already there. Hello? Hello? Oh, nobody picked up. Wrong number. Uh, change the number. Nobody answering. Nope. We shall call upon the name of the Lord, and he will answer us. Well, God's not answering. Well, you're not calling. You're moaning. You're carrying on. You're, you're, uh, you're making excuses. You're, uh, you're a victim or whatever. He said, I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him, and with long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Well, praise God. 
There's many ways for God to be already there. Here he came as an angel. But if the angels couldn't, couldn't tote the wood, God would have showed up. In other words, it was ample. It was enough. It was sufficient. Hallelujah. Well, it says there, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him, verse 14. So God is always there by any means. But here's the key. Faith puts us there. God's always there, but I got to be there. Do you have to be there? Yeah, we got to be there. Faith puts me there. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. There you go. Faith to dwell in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, faith says. So faith puts us there. Psalm 89, 19. Slip back just two, well, maybe not even two pages. One page for me. Look, look, look. God, how does God show up? How is God already there? Verse says uh, in uh, verse 19. Now, y'all ought to have a little star around this one. Y'all put stars in your Bible? Well, bring it to me and I'll show you how to put a star. We'll put one four, four inches by four inches. Hallelujah. We'll put a star in your Bible, and that way you'll be free after that. that. Then thou spakest in vision to the Holy One and saidest. Here it is right here. Here's a promise. I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I need help. Do you all need help? Some days I need help in one area. You know, the dog's barking all night. Somebody else's dog. I need help in that, Lord. And some days, you know, it just, you need help different ways. You need a coworker to have a visitation from heaven or something. <laughs> you know, everybody needs help from different ways. Well, he says, he says here, faith is involved. He says, I will lay help on him who is mighty. Well, the word there for, for uh, mighty is the word geber. And uh, we've done some teaching along that line where, you know, don't be a goober, be a geber. <laughs> <laughs> the word geber, excuse me, means in, it's the intensive form of powerful, intensive form, or of warrior, or of champion, or of chief. It means to be one who is excelling. It means a mighty one. It means a strong and valiant man, a geber. Hallelujah. A mighty one. Well, who, who can be that? Do you feel mighty? Do you feel like the chief? Do you feel like the, the one that's going to put it over? Well, in Jesus, I do. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am the head and not the tail. He always causes me to triumph. He, uh, greater is he that I'm mighty. Greater is he that is in me than he is in the world. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm the mighty one. You're the mighty one. Do you feel like it? None of that ever lines up. None of that corresponds. Says, you know, I'm feeling pretty mighty today. <laughs> no, you never had a day like that. You just had a day that, that you were mighty. And feelings were real, irrelevant. They might come, they might not. So my point here is God is already there. If you get in faith that he's already there. And you go, well, how will God show up? I'm telling you, the, the Bible says they threw the twig or the branch into the water and the iron did swim. Well, I don't need that. That's not my deal. I don't need oil to be poured out of the, uh, you know, I, but I've needed him a bunch. And he's been a very present help in trouble. And he's, al he's already there. Now, I, like I said, everybody knows this, but we got to know it. We got to have it inside of us. 
Now, let me read this to you. This is, I've got just a few minutes here. In uh, Matthew 14, well, I'll let you turn there if you want to. Matthew 14, I'm turning there. God's already there. Well, how is he there? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour so many things on you that you're bound to like something. Hallelujah, that God's already there. He just is not slack concerning his promises. It says in verse uh, 19, there we go, verse 19, 14, 19. Uh, and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. Say, God is already there. There you go. And they did all eat. Two fishes, five loaves, and they did all eat and were filled, and they took up of the fragments that remained 12 basketfuls. God was there. What was the need that day? Well, it wasn't, we didn't need the iron to swim. That wasn't going on that day. We didn't need a chariot to come down from heaven. We didn't need to burn up the prophets of Baal. Uh, what we needed was some groceries. And God was already there. What do you need? What do we need? Matthew 6, 34, you know what it says. It's, Jesus said, take no thought for the morrow. Point yourself with me and say it together. Take no thought for the morrow. Why do we not take thought for the morrow? Because God is already in our tomorrow. Well, God, don't sleep. Don't oversleep because I might need you in the morning. And one day I think you slept in till 11 o'clock and I had a trouble at nine and I, just, I couldn't find you. Well, that's not it, is it? He's in our tomorrow. Um, oh, we got just a minute more. Let's, I just have a little more Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 22. I want to talk about how God is already there. I'm so excited. I know you know this. I know you could teach this. I know you'd get up and say, yeah, but in the crisis, in the clutch, in the hard spot, you got to come up with it. you got to access it. you got to be able to lay hold of it. God's already here. This is no step. This is no trouble. God's already here. In chapter 22, look in verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of, and Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar up, uh, upon the wood. Now, I know y'all always see this picture of, of a little child where the old man just handled him. You know, he's over 100 years old, and, and, uh, but he was 16 or so years old. He, <laughs> he could have whooped dad if we just had to. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Oh, God is already there. And the angel of the Lord called out from heaven unto him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know thou fearest God. Seest, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, only thy only son from me. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and look, 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 look. God's already there. And behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. God was already there. We didn't need an axe to float that day. We didn't need the oil to pour out. We needed a ram in the thicket. 
You may not have needed a ram in the thicket all last year. I don't know. I, I haven't needed a ram in the thicket in a long time. Actually, never. <laughs> but he's there. He's there. Now, let's just finish up with this. God goes to the end of the test or the situation that you're in and speaks back to you. He goes to the end because God can do that. That's why we like him. He's, he's God. He can go to the end and speak back to the present. He can go to the future and speak back the present. And faith, our faith, meets God at the end of the time, yet we're in the present. So we address God as if it's already done, but we're in the middle of the snake. There's sharks everywhere. There's fins going around everywhere, and we're going, uh, what about this, Lord? He said, I've already been to the end, and I'm talking to you about it now in the present. Well, Lord, we need a little more end in this. He said, well, you'll just have to trust me. I'm, I've already been there. So faith meets God. Faith meets God in the present. But everything, everything that, about your meeting with God is about the future. God does not deal in the present. He doesn't deal in the past. Unless you're looking for his faithfulness. You can look him up in the past and, gosh, he's got, a, he's got an A plus, A plus. Uh, he, he's never missed. Uh, but he speaks to us from the future. And we're saying, what's this all about, God? I don't have any money, and you want me to do this and have that and be this and that? He said, yeah, I've already looked at the future. It's okay. Well, Lord, what about today? He said, pay no attention to that. I said, pay no attention to that. Well, I can, my mind's racing. I'm just, I'm just a blur in my mind. Well, nobody's ever contacted God with their mind. And God's never contacted anybody in their mind. It, it's like the crank on the old Model T. You can weld one to your front bumper, but it'll never crank anything. <laughs> it's just, it's, just uh, it's useless. And the present is useless if you want to live a good life in God. The devil will tell you. Well, now, the devil can't go to the end. He has, he's limited. He's one-dimensional. He cannot go to the end. He can speculate. And all he'll tell you is, is you're going to die early. Your children are going under. Uh, you're going to lose your job. Your marriage is, she's fixing to leave you. Um, that's what he talks about. And he's just guessing. He's just Las Vegas saying, throw your dice and I'll tell you how it's going to turn out. So all he can do is embellish your situation and speculate about the future. It's just a shot in the dark. He, he has nothing. He can't go there. He's, he's one-dimensional. But God is not one-dimensional. He's in all places physically at one time, and he's in all time at one time. Can you all believe that, that God's in heaven, but he's here at the same time in the sense of, of Holy Spirit? So he's, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all the time, and he's, he's, always, he's always there. So we have to, what we have to do is change our thinking. Instead of concentrating on what we're going through right now, we have to find out what he said about our future and bring that into our present, into our right now. If you focus or let your right now have any kind of latitude, any levity in your life, you will sink because there's never a good day. 
the bad report is incessant. You might get through three days and have a, you know, have a birthday party for yourself all three days. Isn't that great? Hallelujah. Have, just throw yourself a party. But on day four or seven or 22 or whatever, there's going to be a bad report. We talked about that last week. Can't go over it again. So Romans 4.17 says that God calleth things that be not. How? As though they were. So he goes to the future, sees or knows or, you know, not really, but... And he brings back the future to the present. Well, that's what this is. That's all this is. It's not crazy stuff. It's not things. It's just the future in the present. So it doesn't fit in the emotional, in the mind realm. It doesn't fit here. It doesn't fit in here because we are all working on the present, the right now. How does it feel? How does it look? How does it seem? What's your memory of this happening again? What's your experience? We are in the present. And so we're going to sink if we just say, well, you don't need God if you're going to live in the present. What do you need God for if you're in the present? Because the world's in the present. Just stay with the world. But if you need a better life, if you need the life that Jesus bought us, you have to go to the future. Uh, Matthew 8, 17 says, himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Now that's quoting Isaiah 53. But 1 Peter 2.24, y'all know what that says. By his stripes, ye were healed. Were healed. You were healed. Well, God, it's all over me. I got little red spots all over me, and I'm running 116 degrees, and, you know, it's just terrible. What do you mean I was healed? That's the future. But you can bring the future. Faith brings the future into the present. It changes the present. The present is subject to change. We, we see that in 2 Corinthians 4, uh, uh, 18, where, let me just read. Don't go there, but I'll go there. It says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, subject to change. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Constant, unchanging, living above circumstances. So, one last scripture. Can you, it's, it's not even 8 o'clock yet, so let's go to Second Peter. And we, I promise we'll quit right after that. <laughs> oh, he's slippery. Oh, he's slippery. Second Peter, chapter 1. Look in verse 2, and we will end this. You know, uh, faith is like paying off your house. You're still living in the house, just like when you had a mortgage, but you've paid it off. And so there's no more payments. It, it's done. It's finished. So the mortgage company, just like they have for 20 years, says, send us a payment. We need your $500 and you're late and you didn't do it this month. And you show them the payoff and say, it happened. Here's the dock. Here's the, here's the courthouse that says it's been released and I own this house. Well, how come we can't get that? How come we can't get that Jesus came and paid off our mortgage? Because what did he do if he didn't pay us off? Well, he bought us out of sin. Well, yeah, but that, even that, we're messing up every day. All of us are messing up all the time, not grievously, not maliciously, certainly not wanting to, but we slip. He's already, got, he's already, he's already been in the future and brought it back to the present. 
He said, we got this. But 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, through the knowledge of God. We need to get some knowledge of God, don't we? According as his divine power, his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. His divine power has, hath, has been, past tense, has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. So I'm living out of a promise right now, not based on how I feel, what it looks like, what they say about it, but I'm living out of the past where, where he has gone to the future and then come back and said, all my promises will be giving you all things that what you and I consider pertaining to life and godliness. I like godliness. Well, I've given you all things that concern murder and lack and bankruptcy. No, he didn't say that. And to life and godliness. How? How, how did Peter, through the knowledge of them that hath called us to glory and virtue. So he's saying it's the power of God. Verse 4, whereby, ooh, ooh, here it is, whereby are given unto us exceeding great. Now, I want you all to know that if, if the Bible said great, it would be, it, it would be out of this galaxy. But when he, why would he put exceeding great? That's for our sake. Exceeding great and precious promises. Why? That by these great and precious promises, we might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped. Oh, here it is. The present tense. The present tense. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust in the present tense. He said, I've already taken you to the future, but you're having to live in the present, but not according to the present. I'm letting you live in the future. All things that pertain to life and godliness, put them into your present and you'll live above your present. I wrote down here, the promises are the future looking back to the present. The promises are the future looking back to your present. You know, the, the biggest enemy to faith is not the devil. It's time. It's time. The devil's living in the present, and we're, to, we're endeavoring to get out of the present and live in the future because that's where our promises are. But you can't just go to the future because we're living in this time right now, so you have to bring the, pre the future back to the present, and that's called faith. We're calling things that be not as though they were because that's what the Word says our future is. We bring it back to our present. Amen. Amen. So God's already there. He's already there. Well, I've got some strange stuff going on. We looked at a scripture that says that everything we're going through is common to man. You had not got any new stuff. You're not the first one. <laughs> yes, Lord. Well, we want to thank our audience, our broadcast audience for tuning in today. God is already there. And you have to get out of the now in order to get in faith about your new now, the promises. So God bless you. We'll be here Sunday morning. Hope you tune in. Amen.